He is risen, church. I have a lot of faith for what God's going to do in the next few minutes that we're sharing here together. My name is Telus Fuller. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and we're going to be in the book of Romans today, the book of Romans, Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 5, verse 12 through 17, Romans chapter 5, verse 12 through 17, and it says this, therefore, Just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who sinning was not like the transgressions of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, how many more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace that came through that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many? And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through that one man, Jesus Christ. What I want to title this message for us this morning is Eternal Echoes, eternal echoes. Would you pray with me for a minute? Jesus, this is all for you. And Lord, if you're not here, then nothing changes. So Holy Spirit, we invite you into this place. You said where two or more are gathered, you're going to be in the midst of them. So Holy Spirit, we welcome your presence. Jesus, this is all for you. Would you be lifted up and glorified, worshipped, if in no other place in this place, and if no other heart, Lord, than this heart. Father, we love you so much. And more importantly, you love us. Holy Spirit, would you empower us to live, look, and love more like Jesus today than we did yesterday. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Amen. Eternal echoes, eternal echoes. Never underestimate the power of one person and one impact. One small thing can cause a lot of other really big things. We know this in our lives. You can look at history, and history will obviously tell you this. If you look at uh, George Washington Carver, you're going to see one man who found, what, over 300 uses for one single peanut. You can look through history, and you can find uh, maybe Steve Jobs, right? You find one man who has affected the world and probably most people in this room that if we all pull one thing out of our pocket, it probably matches, Maybe you look at uh, Mother Teresa. 
And you see one life that was sacrificially given for so many other lives. One who poured out for the destitute and for the broken, for the hurting and for the lost, for the lepers, whose life now was impacting so many other lives because of one decision. You see, one thing that affects many other things, an eternal echo. And like an echo that starts with one sound and reverberates to many others, I believe that all of our lives similarly have an echo. That your life, dare I say, echoes something. We look at other people's lives and we recognize the impact that they have, but dare I say that you have the capacity for the same impact. All of our lives are going to end up echoing something. And maybe you're uh, like me and you reimagine like what Maximus said in Gladiator. He said, what you do in life today will echo into eternity. One of the greatest lines of all time. The question is not, are you going to echo? The question is, what are you echoing? Because you're echoing something. Something is coming off of your life. The question is what? When we look at Romans chapter 5, this is a scripture that's packed with a lot of content and really churchy words, but it starts with this one word that indicates something to us. It starts with this one word, therefore. And if you're like me, you remember that when you see the word therefore, you have to look at what the therefore is therefore. Right? So you look back just a few more verses before and you see that Romans chapter 5 teaches us how we are to have peace with God through faith, which is a beautiful idea. But the question then gets brought up, if I need to get peace with God through faith, doesn't that mean that peace was, with God was lost? And if peace with God was lost, then how was peace with God lost? Now, when you look at the book of Romans and the Gospels, you see an entire situation and mosaic of how we have lost peace with God. But really what I want to do is I want to take us back to the beginning. Because when you look at this moment, you're going to see that it lays out chapters before how we have now had peace with God. But you and I were born far away from God due to sin. And that was never the way it was supposed to be. You see, God created Adam and Eve for perfect relationship with him. That was the intention. It was this utopia that now they could be with God in perfect relationship, in perfect unity with him. But the issue is that God gave them choice because without choice, there couldn't be true love. And God didn't just want robots who followed every direction, but he wanted image bearers who loved him back. So when he gave them the choice of love, Adam and Eve decided to choose themselves and not God. They choose themselves, even though they had a perfect relationship, nothing wrong. They had one tree they couldn't eat from and thousands and countless others that they could, but they sacrificed their relationship with God. You see, without choice, love can't exist. Adam and Eve sin against God, and sin enters really through one question in the world. Adam and Eve are standing in the garden, and the enemy comes up to them and asks them a simple question Did God really say you couldn't eat from that tree? 
Well, you know why he said it. He said it because if you eat from that tree, you're going to be like him and he doesn't want that. So I think that if you just partake, you're going to grow beyond your wildest dreams. You're going to be everything you ever wanted. You know what? The real question that the enemy asks Adam and Eve wasn't just, did God really say? It was, is God really good? And the same question that the enemy asked Adam and Eve all those years ago is the same question he asks many of us today. Is God really good? And maybe the deeper question is, is God better to me than I can be to myself? Who's better? Am I better or is God better? Because you find Adam and Eve in this perfect situation with God, no restrictions on their relationship. And then all of a sudden, they start to take control and sin enters into the world. They start to say, God, not you, but me. Martin Luther says it this way. He says that the first commandment is the first commandment because it's the first commandment. He says it's the first commandment because you can't break any others without first breaking that one. Now, let's look into the Rolodex of our memory in kids' church and say, what's the first commandment? The first commandment, you have no other gods before me. As if to say, before you sin against God, you first need to dethrone him. Who's really good? Can I be better to me than God can be to me? Sin enters into the world with one question. You know, you can only produce who you are. We know that through biology. If you look at me, you're going to get an indication of what my parents look like. And you're probably going to be right. If I look at you, I'm probably going to get an indication of what your parents looked like. And I'm probably going to be right. And as much as we know that biologically, that you can only produce who you are, the same is actually true spiritually. That you can only produce who you are. So if you look at me, you can get an idea of who my spiritual ancestors are. Not through how I look, but now through sin. You can only produce who you are. Adam and Eve sinned against God and could only produce then sinners. Because first, they were sinners. <laughs> All we can do now is echo sin. That's what we're bound to. There's, there's this constraint in us now because of our ancestor Adam and the choice that he made to choose himself and to dethrone God that now we all live in sin. And what we do is we echo sin. Sin is the pain and the lying and the deceit and the betrayal and the war and the pandemic. Sin is the very thing that you want to do. You want to stop doing so badly that you can't stop doing Sin is probably some of the reason that we're in church right now so that we can feel better about ourselves because I can't get away from this bad thing I can't stop doing. Sin is the thing that ultimately separates us from God, not just in proximity, but through life. That it says that we have not just been uh, 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 made bad, but we are dead in sin. Sin is the thing that separates us from God. And sin isn't just an action. Sin is actually a condition. You see, like some of us think sin is, is, is the things that we do that are bad. <laughs> but that's just not it. Sin is not just what you do. Sin, sadly, is who we are. 
We are sinners. And because we are sinners, sinning doesn't make us a sinner. Sinning is just the evidence of the fact that we are sinners. Which means when you sin less does not make you sinless. Right? So now your morality doesn't hold as much weight as you thought it did, does it? Because we're in this position where I can do so much good and still be dead. I can, I can do all of the Christian stuff. I can read my Bible. I can go to church. I can stop saying bad words. I can start giving more money. I can start praying for people. I can, stop, I can do all of those things, but it won't make me alive. Why? Because I don't just do sin. I am a sinner far away from God. You see, this is my story that when I was growing up, I was a pastor's kid. I grew up in church. I was in church more than I was out of church. And when I was growing up in church, there was this moment, not by anything that anybody did, but in my own mind that I started to think that my relationship with Jesus was more based on morality than anything else. So what I started doing is I started thinking, okay, I'm going to start doing good things. And the more good things I do, the more that Jesus loves me. And the more bad things I do, the more that Jesus doesn't like me. So I need to do good things to be good with God. And if I do bad things, then I'm bad with God. And then all of a sudden, I realized I can do the same thing with people. And so if people, I can start pleasing by how well I perform. Maybe if I start to perform really well for God, then he's going to be more pleased with me. And maybe some of you are in that same place that I was in saying, God, I'm going to perform for you. I'm going to be a really, really good person for you. But if you're like me, you know what a roller coaster of a religion that is. How one day you wake up and you're here and you're like, me and God are good. I haven't said a bad word in like six hours. I gave money. I've been reading my Bible, the verse of the day. My U version streaks like six days. I'm feeling great. That hit way too close to home for so many of us, right? All of us are like, why did you know that? But then you go out that weekend, you drink too much. You text that person back, you shouldn't text it back. You start being a little greedy, you, you lash out at your family, and all of a sudden you're back low again. It's a roller coaster of a religion. To start basing your relationship with Jesus based on yourself. See, all we could do was echo sin. Sin wasn't just an action. Sin was a condition. And this is why being a better person doesn't work. This is why you don't come to church to be a better person or come to Jesus to be a better person. <laughs> Jesus' aim has never been and will never be to simply make you a better person. It will never be to simply change your actions. See, Jesus' goal in your life is not just your behavior modification, but it's absolutely your heart transformation. You can do all of the good things and you might still be dead in your sin. If it was just about us being better people, I have no good reason why Jesus would have had to die. He would have been a great teacher, done some great things, given some great teachings, and gone back up to heaven very comfortably, and we would have been fine. But that's not the issue. 
The issue is not that you are a bad person. The issue is that you are a dead person. Jesus comes knowing that all we could do was just echo sin. Our lives are all echoing something. It's like a bell ringing in a cave reverberating off the walls and all you can hear. It's like you're in an echo chamber of your own self and you know this as well as I do. We are more closely associated with our sin than anybody else and we know how bad that we are. So when I say that we echo sin, it's not news to you. You know this. I know this. That there's something that comes off of me that is like what Paul said, that I don't want to do what I keep doing and I want to do what I can't do and my spirit is willing, but my flesh is weak and all I seem to do is just echo sin. It's because our ancestor Adam, and no matter how much good that we do, no matter how hard that we try, no matter how much willpower or good intentions that we have, It's like you're stuck in quicksand. And the more that you struggle, it seems like the more that you know that you're stuck. And you start to try and white claw and and white knuckle yourself and say, God, I'm going to do better. I'm going to be better. I'm going to try harder. And the answer is, no, you're not. You can't get yourself unstuck. You can try all that you want. And trust me, I've tried. You've tried. And it doesn't work. We're stuck. We're not just stuck. We're we're dead. But the good news about this scripture, about sin reigning through that one man, Adam, but righteousness reigning through that one man, Jesus, is that who you've always been in Christ does not have to be who you'll always be. Who you've always been doesn't have to be who you'll always be. That's the promise of the gospel. This is good news. That I am not bound to sin anymore. See, our lives are reverberating something. The question is, what are you echoing? We were condemned to echo sin, but now with Jesus, there's the potential of a new echo. (laughs) Mark chapter four, verse two, chapter two, verse 14 says this, Jesus is walking around and this is when Jesus has done a bunch of miracles. He's healed people. He's laid hands on sick. He's gone to the lepers. He's done a bunch of amazing things for a lot of people. And he's even called some of his disciples to this point two sets of brothers. And as he calls them out, they come and follow him. But we find a really interesting story where Jesus calls another one of his disciples in Mark chapter two, after he's been healing and teaching and casting out and teaching about the kingdom of God, crowds have been following and surrounding this man. In Mark chapter two, verse 14, he says this, and as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in a tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and he followed him. You see, Jesus was known for being a righteous man, a righteous teacher. Even some people believe that at this point he might have even been the the savior, the Messiah that they were looking for. And then Jesus does this really strange thing here where he meets this guy named Levi. And he doesn't just meet this guy named Levi. He meets this guy named Levi in a tax booth. This guy, this, this tax collector. 
And when you think tax collector, don't think IRS. When you think tax collector, the, the, what a tax collector is in, in antiquity is it's somebody who was uh, 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 um, like an ambassador for Rome against their own people. They were crooks. They were stealers. They were robbers. They were deceitful. They were uh, uh, pretty much against their own nation. And what they would do is they would, on behalf of Rome, tax their own people. But Rome gave them a little bit of liberty. So they would charge over the tax to their own people who were already being oppressed by Rome. Let me tell you something. Tax collectors, when you read it in the scriptures, just think the worst of the worst. The people that nobody wanted to be around. The people who betrayed your own people. How dare you? They didn't even want to get close to them, tax collectors. And then we see Jesus coming and finding Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he says to him, follow me. And he rose and he followed him. You see, Jesus calls Levi, not after he gets, he gets out of his tax booth, but while he's still in it. I don't know if that hits you like it does for me, but that's one of the most beautiful things that the gospel teaches. Is that God is not waiting for you to get better before he loves you. But God sees you in the middle of your, some of you might be sitting in the middle of your tax booth right now, sitting in the middle of your sin. You haven't repented. You haven't confessed. You haven't told anybody. There might not even be remorse. We might be sitting in this building right now. And at the same time, simultaneously sitting in our tax booth, just like Levi sitting, charging people. Against God, running from God, mad at God, angry at God, disregarding God. And then we see this man, Jesus, who, who approaches the tax booth. I mean, I, it's just like this, this incredible sign of like, 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 like tradition-breaking grace that people were just astonished by. To say, Why would you do something like that? It's the same type of context that gave Jesus the title friend of sinners, which wasn't an endearing term. People were chastising him with that term. That guy <laughs> claims to be the Messiah and he's eating with tax collectors and sinners. Sure. Okay. And Jesus goes to sit with Levi, even invites himself into Levi's home. What view do you have of Jesus when he walks by your tax booth? Is Jesus scoffing at you? Is he rolling his eyes at you? Is he shaking his fist at you? What are you doing in there? Is he walking by and ignoring you? This guy, this girl. Is he condemning you? You know better. How dare you? Or is he calling your name? Levi, you, come out of that tax booth. You, in the middle of your sin, come out of that. No, listen, I'm not, I'm not, here, to, I'm not here to judge you like everybody else has judged you. I know you're being judged. I know you're being judged. I know you're judging yourself. I'm not here to judge you like that. Let me come sit with you. Let me go and sit with you. Let me, let me invite myself into your home. 
Jesus finds himself inviting himself to sit with this sinner. You see, some people have this idea that Jesus walks by our tax booths and he starts accusing us and he starts punishing us and rolling his eyes at us and shaking his fist at us. But my friends, that is not Jesus. That is not the Jesus we see in scripture. He's a Jesus who approaches you. He's the Jesus who doesn't wait for your behavior to change before he loves you. Some of us honestly think that our sins are an obstacle for God to get over. But I'm telling you that your sins actually might be an invitation for him to come close. What if your sin isn't a warning for God to stay away? What if it's actually a waving for him to come near? Some of us have the wrong view of sin that I have to clean myself up. I got I to gotta get better. I can't do this. I can't get close because God's going to be super mad at me. And if I just get better, Jesus is going to be more cleaned with the cleaned up dead version of me. That doesn't make sense, but maybe God will help. No, no. And we have this idea that if I clean up the corpse, he'll want it. It's just not true. And Jesus goes and he says, I know you're sinning. I know you're dead. I know you're in the tax booth, but come and follow me. Jesus says the same thing today to you that he said to Levi thousands of years ago. Come out of that tax booth. Come and follow me. I don't know if if you're familiar with this story or even with this man. But this is such a beautiful story because it doesn't end there. Jesus says to Levi, come and follow me. And I'm not sure if you recognize the name Levi in the scriptures, but Levi actually had his name changed. Levi's name was Levi, but his name was changed to Matthew. Like Matthew, (laughs) like the writer of the gospel of Matthew. Like the missionary to Ethiopia, Matthew. Like one of the 12 followers of Jesus, Matthew. Like, like the martyr of the church, Matthew. You see, who you've always been doesn't have to be who you'll always be. In Christ, who you've always been doesn't have to be who you'll always be. Jesus is a professional at taking Levi's and turning them into Matthew's. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what your tax booth looks like. I don't know if you consider yourself a Levi or a Matthew, or maybe you're like, I'm not even that close, but let me tell you something. No matter where you're at, Jesus is calling you out and calling you to come and saying, don't try and clean yourself up before you get to me. That's my job. You focus on following me. I'll focus on changing you. I can take a Levi and turn him into a Matthew. That's what we see in scripture. That's the person of Jesus. I was um, watching a nature show the other day and it was talking about the, uh, like a caterpillar and, and, and butterflies. And it was this really, really interesting story about um, uh, what we all learned in, I guess, like middle school, elementary, this like, uh, like a, a chrysalis, right? So like you get a caterpillar and then that thing like spins its own cocoon of a chrysalis and all of a sudden like magically a couple of weeks later you have like a new class pet and it turns into a butterfly, right? And, and I was looking at this, uh, like, uh, this show and it was giving some really, really interesting facts. It was saying that um, once a caterpillar does, it spins itself upside down on like a, a tree and spins itself into a chrysalis. 
And the caterpillar, listen to this, has enzymes that actually, when it goes into the chrysalis, it dissolves itself. Like very disgust, like, like just ceases to become a caterpillar and becomes, this is not a scientific term, but becomes like goop. <laughs> and as it becomes this goop, it, it, it stops being a caterpillar entirely. Like it, it's not a caterpillar anymore. It has a couple of cells left that reconfigure itself into the butterfly. And one uh, uh, article actually says this. It says um, that in order for one to live, the other has to die. I hope you know I'm not necessarily talking about caterpillars and butterflies anymore. You see, because of Jesus, I'm not just an improved person. I am a different person. Because of Jesus, I didn't just get better. I became alive. And just like the chrysalis, in order for one thing to live, another had to die. And my new life wasn't just from my old death. My new life came from that one man, Jesus' death. And in order for me to live, someone had to die. You see, our peace with God came with a price. Your salvation, it was free for you, but it was costly for Jesus. It cost him something for you to live. And there was something now that on the inside of you is not just better than before. It's completely different than before. You're not the same. What you have always been doesn't have to be who you'll always be. The scripture says it like this. For those who are in Christ, they are a new creation. It says the old is passed away and the new has come. See, because if I trust in the finished work of Jesus, I don't just have a sinful echo. I don't just have a new echo, but when I trust in the finished work of Jesus, I have a redeemed echo. That my echo isn't just new, it's not just improved, it's entirely different. In Christ, we have a redeemed echo. And it's not because of what I've done, it's entirely because of what Jesus has done through me that now gives me a different reverberating sound that comes off of my life. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything. Luke chapter 24, verse 1 through 6, tells the story of some of the disciples as they come and approach the tomb of Jesus after he's been crucified. He's been crucified. And the next day what they have is it's the Sabbath. And so they can't come and process and honor his body. So they had to wait. And so they come a day later. And as they come, it says this in Luke chapter 24, verse 1 through 6. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb. And taking spices they had prepared... And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. 
And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee. You see, the disciples, they came for one thing, but they left with another. They came to the tomb of Jesus trying to prepare his body, but they left with something entirely different. I can just imagine, as I close, the disciples being in this weird space and looking at themselves and saying, how did we get here? Approaching the tomb of Jesus. I mean, if you remember the story, like one week ago, they were throwing us a party. Like we were walking into the city and everybody loved us. They were like saying, crown the guy and, and, and Hosanna. And they were th- throwing cloaks on the floor and palm branches on the floor. And he was riding into the city like a king. And, and he was giving us these new teachings. And he said something about the Holy Spirit. And, and he said that we were good. And, 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 and just a few days later, now we're at, at, a, at a funeral for the one guy we thought was going to be our king. See, they they came for one thing and they left for another. And maybe some of us in this room might be asking ourselves the same question the disciples were asking. How did I get here? I mean, just last year, I was not in this place. I was doing so much better last year. I remember when I used to go to church all the time. I felt, God, what happened to me? I, I, I remember when I was close with Jesus and, and, and when I was in community and, and when I wasn't and, and stuck in all these addictions and when I was, where, how did I get here? You're asking yourself the same question that these disciples were asking themselves is how did we get here? And this day, I hope, gives you hope because just like the disciples came in one condition and left in another, I believe that Jesus is presenting himself to us. Jesus is presenting himself to you. And he's saying who you've always been doesn't have to be who you'll always be. You might have had a sinful echo. There might have even been points when you've had a new echo. But I want to give you a redeemed echo. They approach the tomb and find these angelic creatures saying, why do you look for the living amongst the dead? And they see this empty tomb. And because of an empty tomb, everything has changed. And they say the best seven words not coming from Jesus' mouth. He is not here. He is risen. You know what a resurrected Jesus means? means everything changes. 
You know what a resurrected Jesus means? It means that Jesus Christ was exactly who he said he was. It means that Jesus Christ truly is the resurrection and the life. It means that Jesus Christ truly is the bread of life. It means that Jesus Christ truly is the vine. It means that Jesus Christ truly is the only way to the Father. It means that Jesus Christ truly is the lion and the lamb. It means that Jesus Christ truly is the alpha and the omega. It means that Jesus Christ truly is the author and the perfecter. It means that Jesus Christ truly is the one who left the 99 to find the one. It means that Jesus Christ truly is the only one who can forgive your sins. If Jesus is risen, he is exactly who he said he was. He is not here. He is risen. And we find Jesus at this empty tomb that changes everything. And if you allow it, I promise you, if you allow it, it will change your everything. Why are you looking for the living amongst the dead? You know what this teaches me? An empty tomb teaches me one simple thing. That when you show me pain, I show you an empty tomb. When you show me dysfunction, I'm going to point you right back to an empty tomb. When you point out to me all the wars and the injustices going on in the world, I'm going to point you right back to an empty tomb. When you point out to me every bitter moment that's ever happened in your life, I'm going to point to you an empty tomb. When you point to me hopelessness and pain and regret and divorce and broken family struggles and anxiety and depression, I'm going to point you straight back to an empty tomb. Why? Because if Jesus is risen, it changes everything. And now, I don't just have a redeemed echo. Because the story isn't just about what I get out of this. This story is not about God's going to make you better. You're going to leave here so encouraged. Listen, this stage cannot save you. This music can't save you. This preacher can't save you. An encouraging word can't save you. This stage cannot save you. But an empty tomb surely can. See, through Christ's death, sin was defeated. And through Christ's resurrection... Life was given. This is not just a testimony about how you can have a redeemed echo. This is a message about Jesus 
being the true eternal echo. That he died and rose again for his own glory. (laughs) For his own glory. And he is the eternal one. He is the one who's going to echo throughout eternity. He did not make me better that now my actions will have a greater impact for good. He gave me his echo. And now what he has done reverberates through eternity. That empty tomb now reverberates through eternity. That empty cross and that blood-stained hill now echoes throughout eternity. And now it points me to something entirely different. It doesn't point me to me. It points me to him. And if I put my faith in Jesus and all of my trust in the finished words of that man on that cross who said, it is finished, I know that what Jesus has done for me will echo throughout eternity. Jesus, the one true eternal echo. Will you pray with me? Jesus Christ, you are our focus. This is not a production about behavior modification and making us feel more encouraged and trying to leave this place, trying to be nicer to people. But oh Jesus, you have made a dead thing a living thing. But only through your blood.